to the Ed's Perspective Podcast with Jared and Jared. Today's big question is, what virtual learning strategies are emerging as the most successful early in this school year? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. I think this is a topic that a lot of people are are struggling with right now, and we're excited because for the first time on Inspective, we're going to be joined by a special guest, uh, Robin McClellan. Robin is the elementary supervisor in Sullivan County, Tennessee. She's a great friend of mine, and she's going to share some of the things happening in her district to make sure kids are still getting a good experience with high-quality curriculum, even in a virtual setting. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm excited to hear about what she's doing at the district level. Yeah, and for those of you that are listening for the first time, uh, we've done a few episodes now. Uh, what we do on Edspective is we take a big question that's kind of difficult to answer. We don't always answer it, sometimes we do, uh, but we provide some perspectives of our own and share some opinions from out in the field. So go back and catch some previous episodes. We've discussed things like, what should school reopening look like this year? Should we have standardized tests this year? Um, does that was, career- that was- that got a lot of feedback. Yeah, <laughs> that was a tricky one. Uh, does career ready mean college bound? We kind of run the gamut here on Edspective, but that's part of the fun. Yeah, and and especially we try to keep it simple around one big question. Yeah. And um, so after you listen, subscribe to the podcast, please. And if you want to interact with us on social media, on Twitter, it's at Pod. Or if you want to interact with Jared and Jared, it's at Jared Bigham or at Jared Miracle. And so we love interacting with people out in the field on social media. Absolutely. Always fun. So again, today's big question, what virtual learning strategies are emerging as the most successful early in the school year? And Jared, I know as a father of four, you've been up close and personal with uh, some of this already, right? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's been very interesting. It's been challenging. I've got kids in high school, and then I've got a pre-K student, a first grader, so I've got the whole spectrum. And uh, without belaboring it, I'll just say I've been a lifelong educator, and it's it's been all I could do to balance their virtual <laughs> learning with my uh, work schedule. And, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, it's just crazy to think we're at a point where school could even happen online. Like I remember, you know, we both grew up in rural areas and I remember when we first got the internet, it was dial up. You had to unplug the phone. I mean, do you remember what it was like when you had the internet for the first time at home? Oh yeah. I'm, my, my daddy was a principal and he had heard about this internet thing and felt like it was something <laughs> I needed to experience. So he went out, bought a laptop that had a modem in it and said, here's this, th- these uh, CDs you can get on. It had AOL. Netflix, yeah. You know, the saying, AOL CDs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I bet I collected you know, 500 of those things. And how exciting was that when you got a new AOL, uh, you know, 50 hour or a hundred hour internet CD in the mail. Like I, yeah. I had no idea what was going on, but it was very exciting. Yeah. And I, I took that laptop to school and to the library and hooked it up. And for in that, my high school had about 20 people gathered around in the library and teachers and we ba-bong, ba-bong, ba-bong connected, you know, and on AOL. For anyone we really who doesn't know. Even on the, we yeah. weren't even on the internet. We were just on the AOL platform, but it was, 
it was wild. That- I feel like we need to clarify for anyone who's wondering what the sound is you're talking about. I mean, dial up like the modem kicking in all the different. Yeah, millennials yeah. don't know. If you're a millennial <laughs> or younger, you have no idea about the ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. But, yeah. yeah. We had a lot of fun. I mean, the biggest thing growing up, you know, my buddies would come over. It would be like logging into a chat room. I mean, oh, that yeah. was just a big thing, chat rooms. Oh, yeah. It, I had a lot of chat room girlfriends all over the country. <laughs> All right, we better get focused here. This big topic. Yeah. Um, I know, Michael, when you were a CAO last spring, you guys started planning for this uh, virtual learning plat- sure. experience and platforms, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just chocked full of challenges. Your your biggest focus. I mean, obviously, you're trying to look out for the health and safety of your staff and students. That's why you're even in a virtual setting. Uh, and then beyond that, you're committed to providing a meaningful education, which is just really difficult when you bring in all these factors around virtual learning, like internet access, yeah. parents that may or may not be there, all the online resources that you have. I mean, sometimes you have too many resources to consider and really narrow down. So just a lot to consider around yeah. this. And I'm, I mean, even in the connectivity which we could do a whole episode on that, but just in our state alone, half a million people don't have the adequate internet speed or internet period to be able to access virtual learning. So it's just a, it's a monstrous hurdle and and the districts out there that are trying to tackle this are just doing a Herculean amount of work to, Mm -hmm. to make this something that's, uh, you know, beneficial to students and works for this time. And hopefully it doesn't last very long, but it's where we're at. But we're excited that Robin's going to join us in a few minutes because she's going to share some of the strategies that are working, you know, in her district already. Yeah. And we've done a little digging ourselves to see what's working better than other things. And just in terms of easing the transition to virtual learning, which is totally new thing for many teachers, students, Mm -hmm. and parents uh, speaking from experience. So let's look at some things that are working. Yeah. And we're going to focus on a few kind of topics or themes here. We're going to look at, you know, schedules, um, the platforms that we're asking uh, parents to deal with, students to log into this idea. Synchronous versus asynchronous. (laughs) Yes. Can we... It took me like two weeks to figure out the difference between the two. Um, I think we should just refer to them as real time or live versus recorded or independent. Yeah, synchronous is is real time and asynchronous means recorded. And yeah, I, people are throwing those terms out there like t- yeah. everybody. So yeah. And then lastly, but you know, really importantly, what are you actually teaching in terms of the content? What are you asking students to do? Which you know, should be a primary consideration. And one of the uh, larger themes, scheduling, I think mm-hmm. is, a, is a big one. And again, speaking from experience, um, it's, it's making sure you've got simplicity and consistency yeah. in your plan as a district or a school uh, to help parents and to help teachers with this. Yeah. And yeah, don't big, overcomplicate it, yeah, I think, is yeah. a big... Because um, I think it, a lot of lessons learned from last spring during the pandemic. And right. I think that I'm seeing much more focused approaches when it comes to scheduling and, and yeah. when students are expected to be on and check in or do their yeah. 
uh, you know, all those different platform check-ins they have to do. Well, you know, I've seen on the scheduling thing, I've seen a couple of really concrete things that I think help. Like one idea was just making sure assignments, like having assignments be due on the same day of the week. So like every Monday or every Wednesday is when things are supposed to be done so that parents know in the midst of all this, you know, they've got those things right. they can just write on the refrigerator or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, definitely the more concrete, the better. And again, lessons learned from the spring. That was very nebulous for a right. lot of things. It's just like, here's an assignment, get it done when you can. You know? Well, I saw one district that's making everything due on Mondays. So parents have the weekend, you know, you don't, parents have a lot going on right now and may not have time every single day to do every single thing. So if things are due on Mondays, parents have at least had the weekend to make sure that their kids are caught up and have things right. completed and ready to turn in. So I think things yeah. like that are really useful. Yeah, especially for parents that if both parents work, right, um, it's hard to do that virtual learning or uh, recorded learning when they get home from work at night with their kids. So there's going to have to be a catch up period. There's I like that. Yeah, the next big area is platforms, just the the online platforms that um, students are logging into and dealing with. So, Jared, I know you, you've thought ooh, about this some. Yeah, I want to say up front, my, my kids' teachers are great, and the yeah. school district's great. and mm -hmm. uh, But I will say I was a little bit frustrated when I was just setting up my first graders' all these different accounts I had to log into and, and, and multiple uh, logins and different platforms. So that, I think that could be frustrating for parents who aren't familiar with either the technology or uh, online platforms themselves. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's my background. That's been my whole career. And it was, it was a challenge for me there at the beginning. Sure. Well, and I think we need to differentiate, between platforms and resources. So right. like, of course, you're gonna have different resources for reading and math and science and social studies, but the platforms through which you access those resources. So do you have a single place like Google Drive or Blackboard or Canvas, like where you're going into a single place? And then, yeah, you might have four or five different folders or places that you're going to do those different subjects. But um, yeah, does that I, make sense, Jared? Oh, it definitely makes sense because I was just, I was messing with my, my dad a little bit. He's in education over 40 years. And I said, hey, I'll throw some terms at you. Class Dojo, Reading Eggs, uh, I Ready. And I mean, I was just going through this list of terms that yeah, yeah. first grader alone was dealing with. And so, man, it, it it has to, the fewer we can have of those and the more focused, I think it's going to help parents and teachers for that. Yeah. Matter. Well, I just think it gives it a consistent look and feel and experience. And those things are important when you're getting, especially in the early stages, like maybe a few weeks or months from now, you start to get a little more nuanced. Uh, I mean, hopefully a few months from now, we're back in school. There's a vaccine that works hundred percent of the time and we can move past this, but for yeah. now, like, how do you provide consistency? Uh, there's a, I always go back to this quote that I got from somewhere I don't know, but anytime you're starting something new or trying to get people to do something, 
just think about half of half, right? Like yeah. do half of half of what you think you need to do mm -hmm. and you'll set yourself up for success. So, yeah. And you can always build out things. The more people come yeah. comfortable in that. And I think that, I think, again, a lesson learned if I was in the district again, I, that's probably what I've done. I'd say, okay, let's roll these platforms out one at a time. Yeah. And these different logins. So it's not, yeah, so I agree. Common. And which, which leads us into this synchronous versus asynchronous uh, instructional models. Right. And let's, let's agree that we're just going to say live or real time versus recorded or independent learning fine with me. Yeah. Fine with me. <laughs> so there, the, the limits to this, the uh, real time, the synchronous learning uh, first, let me tell you one good thing about that. If, if you've got, let's say, a platform, a, a, a Zoom or some other. Yeah, Google Classroom, something yeah, like that. that. Yeah. Where, where these students can interact with each other. Mm -hmm. I think especially back in the pandemic, uh, first starting in spring, I saw my kids that when they saw their classmates, my especially my younger kids, they're like, oh, my gosh, they're so excited because they had yeah, seen sure. them very engaged their attention was held because of that right uh, but that waned uh, yeah. a lot you know the 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 new wore off of that and the novelty of that so i think attention spans of students are limited when you've got this virtual interaction yeah the, you know, especially well i do think i do think that the the important part about synchronous opportunities or the live or real-time opportunities kids need to see their teachers, right? They need to interact with their mm -hmm. teachers. They need to see their peers. You know, we could probably do a whole other episode on the socio-emotional impact of kids being isolated during the pandemic, which I'm just really worried about the, the effects and outcomes of that. So yeah. we're not saying synchronous is bad. It's just how are you using it and, and limiting it to a, a proportion that's effective, I think is what we're saying. Because there are a lot of benefits, but there are also some, you know, pitfalls like tech issues. Parents can't always be around to, you know, restart the internet router if it goes wrong. And then those, the kid misses out on, you know, 15 minutes of instruction. Right. Uh, teachers have a really hard time supervising a Zoom class of 20 kindergarten students or, you know, oh, whatever geez. it is. I can't yeah, even imagine. That, that's where you're, it's almost like you're performing at that point to hold their <laughs> yeah. attention uh and uh, i mean this could be a whole episode but what does is discipline what's that look like in right. a virtual setting I, I i read an article a few months ago about uh, a student got in trouble had a bb gun on his wall and they saw it in one of the zoom meetings of the classroom and so he got disciplined for that i mean it was a whole thing so that i mean that's a, this interaction through a virtual medium is is the younger you get, the harder it is. If I've seen with my high school students, it's a, a lot better than uh, than it is with my younger students. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the best recommendations I saw was focus your real time with students, the live real time synchronous instruction on individual feedback. So individual calls or individual zooms with one student or a small group of students and then use asynchronous or your recorded time or online content for when students are actually working and taking in material, uh, even spending a majority of time uh, on that asynchronous instruction so that parents can assist 
based on their schedule. So whether that's you recording a lesson that might be 30 minutes and the student watching it and then working on assignments with their parents, doing those recorded lessons or offering that online content in a way that's not live lets it fit into the home schedule a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And you can go back and do it again if you don't get it the first time. So, yeah, I I think there's a, there's a balance there. Definitely. It's easier. I I work from home, so I'm trying to facilitate all this at the same time doing my job. So having the asynchronous or the recorded is, is definitely easier for me to manage, but I, I still see the value in occasionally that, that live interactions. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And then I think whatever you do, just be consistent, right? I mean, you're going to try things and they don't work and you're going to iterate and do something new and all that's just part of the process, but just being consistent weekly and then communicating when you make a change. So, and I'll say something else I think is important in all this conversations. There's got to be some way for parents to easily contact the teacher if they've got questions around content or instruction especially so as easy as possible and I, and I like through some of these platforms there's messaging almost like text messaging they can do so that yeah that is getting easier but also with tech issues and I know teachers can't always like simple stuff they can maybe help with like logins but you know these other tech issues I think schools or districts have to have some kind of place that parents can go for help with these issues right right yeah, absolutely. Um, the last thing is the content, you know, looking at some strategies for offering like good, solid content, because that's a major issue and something, you know, you still want to provide high quality opportunities for students in a virtual setting. And this is a hard one and something that Robin McClellan's going to talk to us about in just a minute, you know, but how do you continue to provide high quality curriculum to students and not just stuff that's out there, right? And that's tough for teachers because they got a lot going on right now. Yeah. They're doing like three or four jobs. Yeah. And so, you know, I I talk about Herculean efforts to navigate and juggle all the, the logistics of what they're having to do. Plus try to deliver high quality instruction, man. Yeah. So it makes it so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of Robin, I think we're ready to bring her in. Yes, so Robin McClellan is the elementary supervisor in Sullivan County Schools in beautiful Northeast Tennessee. Uh, Robin, super pumped you're joining us today. Uh, Before we dive in, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, I'm honored to be here and I'm in the presence of greatness, so I'm excited about this (laughs) opportunity. She's talking about me. Yeah, right. I'm I'm fangirling, or I don't know if it's fanboying, but anyway, I'm definitely your fans and appreciate the work you're doing. So um, I, my background is uh, I work for Sullivan County Department of Education. As Jared said, um, I was an elementary teacher for nine years. Uh, I was a principal for 10 years of a school in very rural Northeast Tennessee, had about 90% poverty. Um, and then for the past six years, I've been an elementary supervisor and I have other hats I wear as well, but this is this is my best work and, and the work I love. And my most recent journey in that role um, over the past five years has been implementing a high quality literacy curriculum in K-5. And yeah. it's really been a game changer for, for our teachers and our kids and it's raised the bar on yeah. our practice and and what we believe kids are able to do. So that has really empowered us to be able to move forward in this crazy world. Yeah. 
Robin, you know, we kind of cross paths in this world of high quality reading materials, thankfully, because I consider you one of my dearest and best friends, you know, in our professional world and personal world. We're, we're friends outside of education, right? Like I get to we call are. you. Okay. You're, my, you're my little brother. I just wanted to make sure. Um, <laughs> so Robin is, is honestly been a great resource for me professionally. Um, and, you know, she mentioned this high quality reading work. So Robin, like given that, you know, you've, you've had this momentum in HQIM, um, how do you how do you keep that going in the virtual world? What's that look like right now? Well, um, we started communicating the message in, in the spring that we are not going to pause and take a lot a lot of time to remediate. We have to move forward with tier one instruction. And yeah. I learned, you know, from conversations with TNTP and blogs that I've been reading all through the summer and the spring. We have to have an acceleration model. We do not have time to have deeper gaps. So. That this curriculum has empowered us to continue on with our strategy. And even though there are bumps and it's not fluid and smooth, we are not going back to paper packets or um, any kind of boxes that are not honoring what teachers and kids need and deserve. So we are full on, even though the road's bumpy, full on continuing on with tier one instruction using those high quality literacy materials. So the beautiful part is teachers don't have to create their lessons. Teachers don't have to guess about what are my next steps. Teachers yeah. don't have to guess about vertical progression. We know that this is the, the right work. And so now we just work on, on the, the being the magic makers who get it done. Yeah. Robin, you're a couple of weeks in the school year now. So what are some high level uh, observations on uh, concrete strategies that you want to share with others to help them be successful in this world we're living in now, this, this education environment we're living in now? Um, I think that number one, we have to work on that acceleration model. High quality curriculum is a deal breaker. Um, we have to consistently remind teachers that they are the magic makers and the mm -hmm. families because the box is not going to work. The computer program that we push out is not going to work. There's no replacement for excellent instruction using those high quality materials. And then the other concrete strategy would be parent communication is key. Yeah. We're getting better at that. But when you were talking about a totally remote world, um, it, it, it feels so disconnected. So, so we're really reaching out and we're trying to listen to parent voice and make things better while continuing on the journey of, of giving them all we have. Yeah. I want to ask a follow-up. I'm trying to get better with my um, interview question. So I'm going to ask a follow-up question, Robin. You talked about acceleration uh, and distinguishing that versus the opposite of acceleration. Can you, can you say more about that? Like what's the danger in not approaching this from a, a perspective of accelerating learning? So I love the way Jill Ramsey from Putnam County talked about um, assessing and not assuming. So mm. we can't assume that there are all these tremendous gap skills from the spring. Yeah. We have lined out, um, you know, in literacy and math, what, what did they not probably um, experience? And so now when we teach a tier one on grade level standard lesson, we are making sure that any of those gap skills are addressed maybe toward the latter part. Once we get a feel of what kids are able to do um, and, and, you know, look at the student writing and the student work and look for where are there misconceptions or gaps that yeah. we are, we are not assuming we are just moving forward 
and then stepping back and taking that pause point to fill in any kind of holes in the bucket, I guess yeah. is the best way I could say it. Yeah, I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I'll tell you, my hat is off to you and and all the other educators and that are tackling all this. I know there's a lot of sleepless nights <laughs> trying to come up with some strategies that are effective uh, in this new environment. So just appreciate all the work you're doing. Yeah. Robin, I want to give you a second just to brag on your folks. Cause I know your teachers are just doing so much work. You, you, you are really an advocate and a cheerleader for them and share a lot of, um, what they're doing on social media, both on Twitter and Facebook. So just want to give you an opportunity to brag on your folks for a minute. Um, my folks are battling fear and anxiety and yeah. stress, just like everybody else in the world. Mm -hmm. But when you go in and walk through those classrooms and see the faces of kids that they're connecting with and fighting for and spending those sleepless nights and planning and prepping, it is the only thing that is keeping me going most of the time is watching how they're pouring. They're just all in for kids. And so um, being their cheerleader is basically what fills their bucket right now because when they don't have children in their in front of them, yeah. Uh, it can really deplete you. So sure. um, that the best part of my work is is acknowledging truthfully and sincerely um, what all they're doing. That's awesome. Yeah, we talked about before you jumped on, you know, the importance of sort of balancing that real time synchronous instruction and then the asynchronous instruction. And honestly, how much we don't like the term synchronous and asynchronous, but yeah, everybody's of, done with that. Yeah. But one of the important things about the synchronous time is just that opportunity to connect and see your teacher and see your peers and, and just the value in that in the midst of all this isolation. So we just want to thank you for your work, Robin. It's always fun to talk and catch up and just best of luck to you guys and your staff and students this year and hope hope everything goes well. Appreciate you guys and, and thanks for this platform of of trying to build the capacity of people in education. Yeah, thanks, Robin. yeah, that was great. Uh, I love Robin. So, uh, Jared, what do we think about all this? I, I'm going to keep my response short. I just think empathy for parents. I mean, we can talk about the tech stuff all day, and, and but I think a big part of this is empathy for parents in trying to juggle all this, navigate it, facilitate it, and the challenges that come with that. I mean, I don't know if Chris will end up working his magic and, and cutting out, but I, I was stepping away from Bigham Academy just to, to cut this podcast real quick. And in this 30 minutes, you know, my, I've got my students on the other side of the wall that have been uh, hollering for me. So, uh, I, I just, I think empathy for parents is a big part of this. Yeah. Uh, I think Robin said a lot of smart things as usual, uh, but don't overcomplicate things do over communicate things. Uh, and I think you can just accomplish, you can accomplish a lot through individual conversations with students and parents and, and just, you know, being willing to change course if something's not working because we're in uncharted waters and we all need more than our usual serving of grace during this time. And, and I think that's important to keep in mind. Absolutely. Well, next time on Edspective, we're going to tackle 
not just a big question, a really big question. I'm, I'm actually a little fearful. You pushed, yeah. pushed me into this. I did. Uh, and it's not going to, we're not going to be able to handle this in one episode. This is actually going to be our first, we had our first guest today. And now it's going to be our, our first multi episode topic because it's so big. I'm excited about this one. Uh, it's it's a big uh, it's a big topic, but it's our shortest question so far. You want to you want to give it to the listeners? I'm scared. Yes, of, I'm yes. Scared of Next on Ed's perspective, our big question for a few episodes will be: Why is improving reading so hard? Ooh, I just got a shiver. Just <laughs> all right, everybody uh, enjoyed uh, conversation today. Tune back next time as we tackle one ginormous question.